How many of you can relate to baggage? How many of you know you're carrying some? How many of you know someone that is? Don't point if they're with you. <laughs> How many of you, when you married, got married, you had no idea what he or she brought with baggage? I'm not going there. I'm tired of sleeping alone. <laughs> Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series, if you haven't figured it out by now, called Baggage, and um, we're going to be on this journey for the next four weeks together, and I'm really excited about it because we're all human beings, right? And the more I travel through life, the more I am reminded that we accumulate a lot of stuff going through life. We just do. But what I hope to do in this series, not only to help you and I unpack some baggage, is to remind you and to remind myself that this world that we're living in that I know is kind of crazy, but this is not our home. It's not our home. It's not your home. And so over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about letting go. We're going to talk about unpacking some of the stuff that weighs us down, that drags us down, that holds us back so that we can really live the life that God intended for us to live. So if you would, take out your message outlines. If you're going to take notes, you can follow along, keep track today as we go on this journey. I've got a key thought for you if you're taking notes. We're going to, you're going to be able to recite this by the end of the day because I'm going to say it so many times, you're going to be like, wow, what, what, yeah. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Do you get that? It is, it's absolutely better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does matter. The problem that we have today in our society is everything around us screams the exact opposite. We would all pretty much agree, right? I mean, who wants more of stuff that doesn't matter? I don't. But I want to grab hold of the things that truly, truly bring life and the things that really do matter. And here's what's interesting. We know. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done. I can't tell you how many funerals I've been a part of or witnessed. And how many people, when I even worked at a funeral home, how many people will sob over a casket and instantly when someone dies, they know what was important. And they want one more day. They want one more conversation. They want one more opportunity for something that really matters. And everything screams against it. You go all the way back to the story of creation. Remember that? God takes dirt from the ground and he creates Adam. Adam, the first man, living, breathing. And yet God after that said, but Adam was alone. And God knew man, right? Like man's going to need somebody to blame not by being able to find his keys on somebody. Somebody's got to pick up dirty socks and underwear, right? And so God said, I'm going to make you a helpmate. I've got a design for marriage, right, where two people become one, and he creates woman. And what do they do? They're put in a beautiful, perfect environment. Can't even imagine. No weeds. It was probably a perfect 55 degrees all during the day. <laughs> Get down to 35 at night. It was beautiful. And he says, you can, this, this is all yours. The only thing I tell you is you can't eat from this one tree. 
Everything else is yours, but just stay away from this tree. And then the serpent comes along, right? God's adversary, the devil, who was kicked out of heaven, used to be an angel. He got kicked out because of pride. And all of a sudden, right, I, can't, I, I, I don't know how you picture it. I picture that servant come, serpent coming up, right, disguised really cool. They do that, right? That's how I picture it in my head. And he starts to talk, and he, he asks the woman, he's like, hey, did God really say you can't eat from the fruit of that tree? She said, yeah, we get, we, everything else is ours. We can't just that. There's just one tree. Well, why would, he, why would God keep that one tree away from you? Starts planting some doubts in her mind. Maybe God's holding out. Maybe that's God's tree. Maybe that's, maybe that's where the best fruit comes from. What'd she do? She eats. Gives it to the man to eat. <laughs> now we got weeds. Now we don't have a perfect 55. All the way back to the very first creation, the lie was introduced that many of us, if we're honest, still believe today. And that is what we don't have is what we need. We're discontent. What you don't need, you see, your life would be better if you had that and you had that and you bought that and you could live there and drive this. It would be better. If one vacation is good, then two's even better, right? If one dollar is good, then two is better, right? If one wife is good, then... No, I can't. That's too far, yeah. That's too far. You know, any time through my life where I hear people, oh yeah, two wives, whatever, I just think, wow, two wives, two mother-in-laws. Just saying. <laughs> I brought my baggage, come on, I'm being all right. And I learned this valuable lesson years ago, and I, I, I know I've shared this story with you once, but it was so appropriate. I'm like, if it's good to share this story once, then two's better, right? So, but years ago, years ago, I, I don't know how many more, it had to be at least 25 years ago, we had a Super Bowl party. And I don't know, how many of you like M&Ms? Plain or peanut? Peanut, yeah, somebody said all of them. Okay. That's cool. But anyway, I liked plain, I liked peanut M&Ms. And so my wife bought one of them big old share bags uh, of peanut M&Ms. She dumped them in a big bowl, right? And we're getting ready for the Super Bowl party. And, and, and so I'd go by and get it, you know, you just grab a little handful, right? And you just walk by again, you just grab a little handful and you walk back by and, right? Anybody recognize what that happens? And during the course of the Super Bowl party, I just get a few at a time. And before I knew it, the bowl was empty. And then you're like, who ate all the peanut M&Ms? Right? Because there's no way you ate that many peanut M&Ms. But anyway, I ate all those peanut M&Ms. Everybody left from the Super Bowl party. And, and I rarely, rarely, rarely get sick. But this was one of those times. And, and I got a little flu bug. And I just remember going to bed and then like, ooh, this isn't going to be good. And I ran in the bathroom and I puked the most colorful <laughs> stream of warmed up in e internal juices that you've ever seen in a toilet. I just had. I mean, talk about technicolor. This was like, whoa. And I learned the lesson that here we are all these years later that I'm teaching you and that I learned from Solomon in Ecclesiastes 4.6. Here's what Solomon said. 
Solomon said that it's better. Better is one handful with tranquility, with peace, with joy. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. In other words, what he was really saying, it's it's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what really does. And I was getting both hands, right? I mean, even though I might have been using one, I just ate too much and it wasn't a good thing. And yeah, add the flu bug to it and you know the rest of that story. But Jesus, not only did Solomon, who was the wisest man ever lived, say that, Jesus gives us a warning about this, a powerful story about two sons that are fighting over their father's inheritance. You ever seen anybody fight over money? (laughs) join the funeral business. Soon as it's gone, mom said, dad said, no, dad told me, no, mom said, yeah, anyway. And Jesus warns them in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard. The intensity of this makes you kind of pause, right? I I mean, when somebody says, watch out, you're just like, huh, right? Like my wife, we just had this like a week ago. We're driving down the road. I don't remember where we're going. Doesn't matter, right? And, you know, your mind drifts or whatever. It's wandering. And all of a sudden, she says, hey. And I'm like, what? Like I, some old lady's out in the road. I'm about ready to run over. And I said, what? And she said, oh, did you see that lady sitting over there in her yard? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I almost went off the road? Well, I, was, I just said, hey. I'm like, yeah, but the way you said hey was like, I just, I'm like, somebody's, I don't see somebody, right? Anyway, but Jesus was saying, hey, be on guard, watch out. This was a warning. Here's why. Because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He knew us. He knew we tend to be people that accumulate. Do you understand that your life does not consist of your stuff. It doesn't. When you die, someone else is going to get all your stuff. And some of the people that may end up with your stuff, you don't even like. And they're going to have your stuff. My life does not consist of my stuff, yet everything in culture tells us the opposite. There's nothing wrong with having stuff, but the problem is is when the stuff begins to have you. The problem with stuff is when you believe that it has more power to do things in your life when it's actually powerless. You're not what you drive. You're not your occupation. You're not what you wear. You're not how much stuff is stored in your closets, in your garage. And even though you're incredibly quiet right now, and some of you are like, you're kind of getting up in our business, I want you to know that you are not the stuff that you have. And the lie is, is what we don't have is what we need to be happy. What we don't have is what I need to be fulfilled. What I don't have is what I need to be joyful, to be cool, to fit in, to look good, to feel good about myself, to be significant, to be important, to be somebody, to be popular. Some of us, you watch TV so much, you're like, you know what? You know what's wrong with our house? It doesn't look like Joanna Gaines did it. 
I want to ask you this question. Fill it in if you're taking notes. What if the stuff you have is actually robbing you from the life that you want? Isn't that a great question? Like, what if all this stuff that I've worked so hard to accumulate and that promised so much when I bought it or when I obtained it, but it never seems to deliver, which is why I continue on this shopping spree, this accumulation spree, because I keep thinking that it's going to do something and I get so excited about getting it, but then when I get it, it doesn't ever seem to deliver what I thought it would deliver. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with a toil and a chasing after the wind. You know why I said it's a chasing after the wind? Because you can never catch it. It never delivers. You'll never have enough stuff. It'll never fulfill you. I think the timing of this series is great. Because if you have kids, your kids are out of school, most of them now. And you're saying, oh my goodness, what are we going to do this summer? It's still spring right now, and I think it's time to do some spring cleaning. And I think it's time to make some adjustments and some big changes as parents to one handful living. Because our kids aren't growing up in a vacuum. They're watching everything that we do. They don't just do what we say them to do. They watch us and do what we do. We can tell them what's important, and they see something different in our lives, and they'll follow that. Following Jesus is more caught than taught. So just keep that in mind. But the first thing I want to encourage you to do, these three thoughts about one handful of living, is the first thing is, because better is one handful, right, than two, is to throw out. I didn't say throw up. I know that was part of that story, but don't get that wrong. We're talking about throwing out. Throwing out some of our stuff. Throwing out as if your life depends on it, because quite honestly, for some of us, it really, really does. Because our life does not consist in the abundance of our stuff, Jesus said, but yet our closet, anybody, ha- let me ask you this, this would be fun. Anybody have too much closet space and storage space in your house? <laughs> not one hand. Does that not tell you that we're talking about the right thing today? Anybody have a garage that is so full of stuff you can't park a car in it? I- See, some will are honest admit it. I- I- I'm not bagging on you. <laughs> but we accumulate stuff. How many of you realize, do you, you ever feel like you spent half your life reorganizing your stuff? Moving your stuff from one place to another? Oh, people are coming over. We got to use that room. Oh, you can't even see the floor in that room. Now what are we going to do with that stuff? to get? You, you, you follow me. And Jesus tells a story about a guy in the New Testament that in many ways was much like many of us. This was just a typical guy, right? He was known for, to be the rich young ruler. He was an up-and-comer. He, he had it all going for him. He was wealthy, and he was young, and he had a lot of stuff. But the biggest problem that he had that Jesus recognized is not only did he have stuff, but the stuff had him. The stuff had him. The stuff had taken the number one priority in this guy's life, and Jesus knew that. And so when they got into a spiritual discussion, this man asked a great question. He basically asked Jesus, how can I get right with you? How do I become one of your followers? Now, Jesus knew in his heart that the only way Jesus comes into a heart is when you accept him as Lord, which means, number one, means you got to get off of that seat. Or if there's something else that you value more than Jesus in your life, then you can't make him Lord, right? Something's got to move off the Lordship seat for something else to move in. And so Jesus says to this, to the guy's question, what, what must I do? How do I get right with you? And in Matthew 19, here's what Jesus said. When, 
or no, let me back up. That's his reaction. I got ahead of myself. Jesus said, you know what you have to do? I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Now, does that mean you can't be wealthy and be a follower of Jesus? Not, that's not what that says at all. He knew what was number one in the guy's heart, and he was seeing if the guy would be willing to give up his stuff. He'd make it all back, right? He's rich. He's young. He knows. He's a leader. But the Bible says that when Jesus told him that, verse 22 of Matthew 19, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know what he chose? He chose his stuff over Jesus. That's how much his stuff had him. And again, it's not wrong to have stuff. The problem with this young man is the stuff had him. It had become his God. He spent more time accumulating stuff than anything else. I see people that define their life oftentimes by their stuff. We get off base when we start to believe that our stuff is actually going to give us some peace. That if I just lived in a different place, in a different house, a bigger house, if I drove something different than I had there, if I could just accumulate that set of whatever that set is, something powerful is going to happen, and it's going to fill this longing finally that I've had inside of me for a long, long time. That's a lie. The longing that you have inside, if you don't know Jesus, is a spiritual thing. You're disconnected from your Creator and stuff and things and power and prestige and all the things that stuff promises will never deliver. That's what Jesus was trying to get us to understand. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. If we're going to throw stuff out, I know that in a group this size, there's a lot of you that's like... You almost had a panic attack. Like, what's he want me to throw out? You've been going, you, some of you have, you've never followed me from that point on. You're just like, okay. You mean you want me to throw away some of my knickknacks? You mean some of the stuff in boxes that I haven't seen in years that I don't even know what's there anymore? I mean, oh, that would be scary. You ever wondered, like, why do we have so much stuff? Why, why do we have so many dishes? We got 178 bowls in my house. They're Tupperware bowls, and not one lid will fit any of them. <laughs> Isn't that odd? I'm kind of believing that when you lose a sock in the dryer, I don't know how that happens, that's a whole different deal, but I'm pretty sure that it shows up as another Tupperware lid that doesn't fit anything in your other cabinet. I think that's what happens to them. How many of you still have VHS tapes? <laughs> when's the last time you watched one? Now, maybe you are. Hey, that's okay. Some people are saying, what's a VHS tape? <laughs> some of you have some clothes, like, <laughs> haven't been worn since MC Hammer wore his. Why don't you get rid of them? You're like, they're coming back. They're coming back. You know what I say to that? But you still can't fit in them. No, I'm whole, whole different deal. <laughs> <laughs> I brought my bag. I'm gone. Come on. Uh, listen, that's how I grew up. 
I grew up, I remember hearing about my grandparents that went through the depression, and man, you didn't leave anything. You didn't waste a thing. You ate everything on your plate because I heard those stories over and over and over and over. And so stuff became important to me, and I've grown through the years. I'm still not there. But I'm going to tell you this, that I am passionate now about blessing other people with things that I don't need. Except my shoe collection. I'm sorry, I'm still not perfect. But why do we not give stuff away? I can tell you one of the reasons is fear. We're afraid. What if I need that? I haven't needed it for 35 years, but what if I give it away and then I need it? Have faith that God will get you another one. How about that? Well, maybe my kids will want it. We thought that. We had boxes and boxes in our, in our basement, stored for years. We thought when our kids finally get married, and they're going to want this stuff. Our kids don't want the stuff. <laughs> what do you mean? Do you realize this was your first assignment in first grade? And this was your second one. And this is your 17th one that year. You don't want that stuff? Really? You following me? That's us. But one of the reasons is fear. You know what the other reason is? Is sentiment. I don't throw that away because it has sentimental value. Mom, what's this? Oh, that was your first diaper. We used cloth diapers. We kept them, right? This is the one you did your first duty in. Matter of fact, don't open that box. <laughs> sentiment. But you know what? I, there's a book, Marie Kondo, K-O-N-D-O, if you're ever interested in this, called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And she challenged you. It's kind of an odd, strange book, what I kind of like, because I'm kind of odd and strange. But it talked about sentimental things in a way that I'd never thought about before. And she said, here's what you do with sentimental things. You can't hold on to everything that's sentimental. Thank it for its purpose that it served back in the day, and then bless someone else with it. Isn't that a great idea? You don't have to have all of their homework assignments or all the report cards or the diapers, right, with the duty in a box, right? Give the duty in the box to the garbage man now. Hey, I remember, yeah, that was a cool moment. It was the first time, but it served its purpose in my life, and now I'm going to bless someone else with it. And you know what? Some of you say, oh, that sounds so good, but uh-uh. Uh-uh. And I'm not telling you to get rid of every single thing that you have. I'm just telling you that our life doesn't consist of just our stuff. And that stuff for many of us has more of a grip on us than it should, and it definitely affects us. And I'm trying to make a decision for my life. I'm not going to let stuff weigh me down. And it's that obviously in this series, we're going to talk about other stuff that weighs us down, but stuff is a big deal. Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with a toil and a chasing after the wind. So we're going to throw some stuff out. What a great time to do some spring cleaning. Unpack some boxes. You're going to see like it's Christmas. It's going to take you back, but then bless somebody else with it. We got a lot of stuff that somebody actually that doesn't have any would love to have and use it, <laughs> not store it for another 25 years. Anyway, so here's the second thing we're going to do is we're going to buy less. Buy less. Some of you are like, hey, with grocery prices, gas prices, we're already doing that. Let's go on to the next one, but stay with me for a minute. Do you know 62% of people, American people, admit that when they go shopping, they do it to cheer themselves up when they're down? 62 out of 100 
They treat it like therapy. I don't even have any money, but I'm going to go shopping because if I can buy some, if I got it on sale, yeah, but you still didn't need it. I got this for 30% off. Yeah, but you put it on a credit card that's got 25% interest. Do the math, right? Anyway, there's, there's something truthful. You can, you can play this out with the human mind and science, that there's something happens in your brain with dopamine. You get a temporary high from shopping if that's your gig. Like, you go, oh, you get charged up to get a sale. Oh, I didn't even plan on buying that, but I saw that. They're great at displaying things, right? And all of a sudden, and you, your brain, oh, I would be satisfied. I deserve that. That'll fulfill me. No, it won't. There's that lie again that I believe. And some of us, we have closets and garages full of false promises. I love what Solomon prays in Psalm 119, verse 36 and 37. Look at this. God caused my heart to bow before your words of wisdom and not to the wealth of this world. All those years ago, the wisest man of the world, they had the same struggles. Help me, many of us need to pray this, help me turn my eyes away from illusions. You know what illusion is? Something that it says this is what it is, but it's not that at all. Something that you buy that's going to fulfill you, that's going to make you happy, that's going to calm you down, that's going to no, it won't. Keep me away from those illusions so that I may pursue only that which is true, the real thing. Help me turn my eyes. Other versions say turn my eyes away from meaningless things because it's better to have more of what does matter and less of what doesn't. So God, I, I'm, I've kind of bought the lie. I've, I've gone after all this stuff and I've got more of what doesn't matter and less of what does. I don't want to be that person. In our home, just this week, we've had this discussion before, but this week we had this discussion, my wife and I at length, and we're really working at turning a corner. Not that we've not made progress in this, but it's something we're going to get more aggressive on, and that is to choose experiences over things. Think about that. Choosing experiences over things. We live in a world that if you go to a party, if it's your kid's birthday, if it's your mom's birthday, if it's Mother's Day, if it's Father's Day, which is next week, by the way, we buy them things. My wife and I, I said, hey, let's, let's do something. And so we got thinking back, and I said, think back of all the things that you've received, even when you were growing up as a kid, and tell me how many things you can distinctly remember getting and who gave it to you. The list was almost non-existent. When I looked at, through my past, all the things that I wanted and the things that I got and I received at Christmas or a birthday or a graduation or whatever, and I had to try to think who gave me that and how, how much of a list could I make of those things, I almost couldn't put one thing on paper. But then when I turned the page and I said, hey, Deb, tell me about experiences that you had as a girl with your grandparents, with your parents, on a vacation, with friends, whatever. How many of those? She could make a whole list and so could I. And yet, why do we live in a world where everything is about gift? And you almost feel guilty if you don't give someone a gift. And it's like, what if we started to turn that corner and said, what we need to do is create, even with our own kids and grandkids, some experiences that we can share together rather than things. Why don't we do that? I don't know, but you can do it today and you can do it tomorrow and so can I. And so we're working aggressively at turning that corner. 
I remember going to the lake. I remember staying in a cabin. And you know what's interesting? Almost every one of those experiences, there was something that happened. Like I remember we rented a lake house one summer for like a month. And we'd go there every single day when school was out. My dad would still go to work and then he'd come back. But I can remember things distinctly like when they found a snake. And my uncle was there and they killed the snake. And you know how they killed, ended up, after he killed the snake, you know what he did? He stuck a jart. Remember jarts when they weren't kid, or so safety friendly? It was like you had points, you could throw them up in the air and everybody run so you didn't get spiked in the top of the head. We used to do that as a kid. I can remember that. Some of you are like, I remember that. And here's what's, I never died. But anyway, I could have. My parents were probably hoping they were the ones throwing the jarts. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, with that snake, right, he killed the snake, and he had it stuck in its head in, our, in between the lake house and the lake. And we all kept going and looking at it. And we went out and swim, and we came back, and the jart was in the ground, but the snake was gone. And my uncle tried to prove, tell us that that snake had got out from under that thing. Somehow, they got the jart out of its head and left, and we believed it. Scared us to death. He's like, it's probably went back into the house or whatever. And we're like, huh? I don't want to sleep there. Anyway, <laughs> choose experiences over things. Begin, have a conversation even with your family. Does that mean you never buy them anything? No, but trust me, trust me that we remember experiences more than things. I've never seen anybody bawl at a funeral and sob over a casket and say, I wish I would have bought him or her one more thing. I wish they'd have bought me one more thing. You know what they wish for? I wish I could have one more conversation, one more minute, one more afternoon that I would actually choose to go over and sit with them and talk. But I bought things. We've bought the lie, folks. So we need to throw some stuff out. We need to buy less. And then number three, we need to give more. We need to give more. In other words, we need to become more generous. We need to become more generous. Look at uh, 1 Timothy 6.17. To me, this is so powerful. It's so emotional to me because what Paul said to Timothy, Paul was the older, Timothy was the up-and-coming leader. And Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, let me just stop there for a minute, because every time I share that verse, I know what happens. You're like, well, go on, because you're not talking to me. I'm not a rich people. Most of us say, well, I know some rich people, but I'm not the rich people, all right? Let me just put it in a global perspective just for a moment. If you drove a car here today, you're in the top 5 to 7% richest people on the globe, I think he's talking about us. If you have three meals a day, or at least the option of three meals a day, do you realize that you're richer, you're in the top 40% of the people on the globe? If you can use a cell phone and order a pizza or DoorDash and have it delivered to your home, do you know what that means? You're crazy rich people compared to the rest of the globe. So let's just take that in for a second. You not, may not feel rich because you're always comparing to somebody that's really, 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 really rich. We're rich. So this verse is for us. So keep that in mind as I go through this. Command those who are rich, you and I, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, stuff, which is so uncertain but where are we to put our hope? He says, but instead, right, put your hope in God. 
who does what? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And you said, see right there, everything I have, I'm supposed to enjoy. Why would I throw some stuff out? Why would I buy less? Because he's not talking about it in that sense. Like you and I, he, he said, we've bought a lie. We're looking for that stuff to do something that it'll never, ever do. Don't feel guilty about God blessing you, but don't forget that he doesn't put everything in your hands to keep in your hands. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. We just don't want the stuff to have us. And he said, watch out. Be on guard. Look at verse 18. Command those who are rich. That's us. Notice what he doesn't command them to do. Buy more. Store more. Fill up every nook and cranny in your house. Fill up your garage so you can't park your car in there. Buy extra storage space. Pay somebody to store your stuff for years. You say, who does that? I don't know, but a lot of people do because everywhere you look, they're putting up more storage buildings. Drive out on 223, they have storage condos. Where do you put your stuff? Oh, just a storage locker. I have a condo for mine. What? Anyway, craziness. If you own one of those, I'm sorry. But not really. Command those rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. Look at verse 19. In this way, by doing good with that, by passing some stuff along, getting it out of your hands, bless somebody else. In this way, you'll lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age. You'll take hold of the life that is truly life. Do it God's way and you'll actually experience life in a way that the other stuff promises, but it can never deliver. <laughs> Less of what doesn't matter, more of what does. In fact, when I think about stuff, I never get emotional about my stuff. I thought about that this week. God, I felt so close to you when I bought that 75-inch TV. you get emotionally charged for a moment that dopamine kicks in there's some people they have to have the newest of everything what iPhone number are we on 13 like I think mine's still a 5 or 6 but I don't care anymore I used to care I don't care can I answer it do you know what the most popular trend is right now with smartphones buying a dumb phone no joke, if you haven't heard about it, people are buying dumb phones. The dumb phone only allows you to make calls. You can't connect to the internet. You can't get text messages. You can't chase stuff. And people are actually doing it. You know why? Because they're so stinking connected, they hate it. It's driving us crazy. Take that. He doesn't command them to just click buy now on Amazon. Over and over and over again. We, we've made it so convenient, haven't we? Where'd this stuff... It's like some of you, you they, I bet your neighbors think Amazon guy lives at your house. The truck's always there. Anyway. <laughs> what if we chose experiences? What if we began to swing that pendulum the other way? Again, I don't have an emotional getting story, but I have many emotional giving stories. I do. I'll bet you do too. If you're a generous person, if you've learned to do that, if even though you fought through the fear or, or all the lies that we tell ourselves, like, oh, if I give this away, what if I need it again or whatever? Huh. 
I remember when we wrote our very first tithe check, an actual tithe, the first 10% of what we were making, and we weren't making much money there, but it was a lot to us. And I can remember my hand shaking when I wrote the check. That tells you how many years it was ago because I actually wrote a physical check, right? But I put that in the offering plate and I felt so good, but I was so scared because on paper I didn't see how it would work out. And here we are 35 plus years later and God has fulfilled our needs. We put Him first. It didn't make sense rationally. Some of you are like, are you kidding? Like what happens? Like what we do with every dime here, it goes to reaching people for Christ, helping them grow up and become mature followers who will go back out into the world that they live in and impact others for Jesus. Can I tell you that matters? That one day the only thing that's going to matter when all this is gone and we're gone is do you know Jesus or you don't? And all of us that realized, and I'm not perfect, I've blown a lot of stupid money on dumb things, but I'm so proud of investing in people and in giving some of what God has put into our hands onto other people. And it's so funny, early in my life, I just wanted to accumulate more. <laughs> I really did. I, my, one of my goals was to make more money than my mom and dad. And when I was 22 and as an engineer, I say, whew, I'm way on my way. I'll be retiring 45, 50 years old. <laughs> God was going, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm getting ready to do in your life? Something you'd never dream in a million years. All that stuff's going to burn up one day. All that stuff's going to be given to somebody one day. Even nice stuff will end up in hands and in trash barrels and a penny on the dollar at a garage sale. Somebody say better. Better is one handful with tranquility than two with toil and a chasing after wind. Better is one with contentment, one handful with some peace, with some joy, with some simplicity, with some margin, with some confidence, with the ability to be generous. I mean, saying, you know, we just bought a new refrigerator. <laughs> it's so cool. You just touch the front and it lights up and it's glass. You can see through it. Oh, you still have to open the door to get stuff out. <laughs> What'd you do with your old? We put it in the garage. Are you going to use it? We don't know right now, but we'll always have it. Matter of fact, we've had one in there for 20 years. In case our other one broke, we'd have it. Do you know there's somebody that's trying to raise kids that their refrigerator's broken, they can't replace it? What if... What if you gave that away? When my wife and I, we had one car, and it got so old, we had an opportunity through my uncle to buy his company car at a very, very reduced rate. And so it took faith, but we did that. And you know what we did with our other car? We gave it to a single mom that didn't have a way to work. And we had it all, they had it all checked out, and that girl, we saw her one day with her baby in her car. <sighs> Listen, I'm not acting like we got it all together. I'm just, you don't know how hard I have to scrape to find some of those stories. But you know what I've learned? It's better to be generous. It's better not to get tied down with stuff. This world is not our home. We're just passing through.
Let me ask you one more question and then we're going to close. Ask yourself this. This is what I've been asking myself. Are you accumulating on earth what you cannot keep? Or are you investing in heaven what you cannot lose? Look around, do an inventory. Go through this message again. And ask yourself, wow, why are we accumulated so much stuff? What, how could we be a blessing to someone else? If, if you're not giving back to God first, the Bible says we're robbing Him. I've never regretted one dime I've given to God's work. I regret often how much I've given to stuff, believing the lie that it would produce something in me that it'll never produce. I want more of what's truly life. I want peace, real peace. I want joy. I want deep and committed relationships. I want to be more generous like my God is. And let me just tell you this. Your calling is too great. Your life is too valuable. And your God is too good of a God. Too good of a God for you and I to waste the one life, the one and only life, that he's given us on things that won't last. Would you bow your heads? Father, today we just thank you for your word. God, by your power, your grace, I pray this for me and for everyone that is listening here today that is a follower of God, that you would let us realize that stuff is weighing us down. Stuff, we're buying lies. It takes us away from what is truly life. Let us make some adjustments. Let's throw out. Let's buy less. Let's give some stuff away. Let's give more. Be more generous. Be a blessing to someone else. Be investors. And that will last forever, which is people. To know you. Speaking of knowing him personally, if you're here today, you're listening, you're watching, and you don't know Jesus personally, You've never made him Lord. You've never with your own lips confessed that you're a sinner, that you're not perfect, and turn from doing life your way and turn to him as your only hope. To make him number one, like the rich young ruler refused to do. <laughs> he had so much, but yet he had so little. He walked away from the greatest opportunity. I don't want anyone to walk away without knowing Jesus. If that's you, right where you're at, you provide the sinner. He provides the Savior. Say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Today, right now, by faith, I turn from my sin. I'm sorry for them. I ask you to forgive me of all of them. I turn to you and I ask you to be Lord of my life, Savior of my life from this day forward. I want to follow you. The God that has my best in mind, the God that has all the wisdom. My way has not worked. And for the rest of my days, I want to live the life that's truly life. And when I die, I'll step into your presence. And God, when I get there, I want to know that I invested in people that are there. I used my life wisely. I say thanks, give you all the praise, the honor and the glory, because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name, amen.